Election Day is a little over two weeks away. Voters will get one more chance to hear the presidential candidates debate before November 6th. That debate is Monday night at Lynn University in Boca Raton, Florida. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. With Election Day inching closer and closer, this morning we're focusing our attention on presidential politics. How much does religion play in the mind of a voter when he or she heads to the polls? Joining us now to talk about faith and politics is Jeffrey Pollack. He's a religious studies professor at New York University. Jeffrey, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. How big of a role do you think religion plays in presidential politics? I think it plays a significant role, especially in the way that the conversation unfolds in the U.S., right? So with our two particular candidates this election season, we have two very particular religious identities, uh, both of which are subjected to kind of contentious debate and construction by multiple parties. Mitt Romney is a Mormon and Barack Obama is a Christian. That's correct. And, you know, those religious identities are fluid depending on who is having the conversation, right? So what Mitt Romney's Mormonism means can change based on what the different parties at the table are. Or, for example, you know, President Obama's religious identity is also kind of submitted to some, some sort of you know, famous debate, right? Is he a Muslim, right? Should his identity be called into question because of politics of his name uh, or presuppositions about his racial or ethnic background uh, so that... This question about what is good religion or bad religion or who can be a Christian or not is kind of that script is read onto the identity of these candidates. And so Americans find themselves interested in questions of religious identity uh, among political figures uh, because they're trying to find those personal connections with those candidates. Do you think there are a lot of Americans out there who still think that Barack Obama is Muslim? I think there certainly are a lot of, of, of Christians because that is a, a lot of the rhetoric that is that is spread among right-wing or conservative constituents in the, the, the nation uh, calls into question uh, especially that racial or, or ethnic valence to uh, his middle name, Hussein, or to uh, his supposed, uh, you know, the, the birther constituency would be the, the constituency that I think would be most resonant with that uh, line of question. How much do you think most Americans know about Mormonism? I think it depends on, on which kind of Americans you're talking to, right? So if you are out in the Mountain West and you're near the homeland of Mormonism, of, of Latter-day Saints, you're going to find many more people who are very familiar. Right? Or in the Western region of the United States, in particular, the concentration of Latter-day Saints is much higher. Uh, so there will be a kind of much more a much higher degree of everyday contact with Latter-day Saints uh, than you would find perhaps in the East Coast. And then there are also very strong uh, perceptions of Mormons uh, among particular religious groups. For example, uh, in the past, many evangelical Christians have constructed Mormonism as a cult as opposed to a legitimate religion uh, because of uh, particular uh, beliefs or narratives of origins with Mormonism uh, that don't seem to resonate with evangelicalism. And then on the left, you you, you might find uh, critiques from folks who might identify as secular or non-religious, finding Mormonism to be a kind of hyper-irrational religion. So the, the extreme case would be uh, the satirical commentary that South Park offers in its cartoons, right, uh, of Mormonism and saying, how can this be a rational narrative for a religion? That all being said, do you think then that the political candidates should talk more about their religions? Explain it to the American people. 
well, political candidates might see themselves as having obligations to uh, explain their religious identity as much as they want to explain uh, their philosophical orientation with politics or with the economy, right? Because Americans have interest in what are the guiding principles that are going to inform and influence the decision-making process. Uh, But then again, uh, candidates will also want to place emphasis on the value of of religious freedom and and liberty of conscience, right? Which is understood to be a hallmark of our democracy in America. Uh, So those two concerns stand in tension, Uh, the need to respect the freedom of the individual's conscience and the curiosity and legitimate interest of the public in wanting to know how a candidate will govern, uh, what what philosophical foundation stands beneath that governing philosophy. How big of an issue do you think religion is in this particular race between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama? Well, I wonder, it it has been less a part of, of the conversation than I imagined it would have been. And perhaps... Uh, This has to do with the available options for candidates on the right. And so perhaps the Christian right has been less vocal and has made less of an issue of Mitt Romney's religious identity after the primaries because they need to uh, maintain a united front. And both of these candidates' religious identities have been subjected to very thorough scrutiny uh, in the during the last presidential election. Right? So that President Obama's uh, connections to Jeremiah Wright's church in Chicago and the connections to black liberation theology and the national kind of uh, illiteracy on what is liberation theology and what are African-American theologies of liberation uh, kind of was exposed in the last presidential election so that it's almost kind of, you know, beating a dead horse to, to a certain extent. Is the role religion plays in politics today any different than in years past? I think absolutely. I think that Christian character of the nation has always been up for vigorous debate. And through the 19th century and into the early 20th century, Protestants often had the kind of the, the majority clout in the national conversation. Uh, so that in, as the, the 20th century kind of came, came to a close and we've entered the 21st century, uh, we've come to see perhaps a bit more pluralism as it comes to religion. And that pluralism uh, does have an impact uh, on, on the political conversation. Uh, I might I might turn us to the new Pew Re- Research Center data uh, that's showing another sharp increase in the religiously unaffiliated. Right? So they released a report five years ago that showed 15% of Americans uh, who claimed no religious identity, and their new number, they've just indicated that 19.6% of Americans are religiously unaffiliated in their most recent polling data that they did with Religion and Ethics News Weekly from PBS. So that this is a large constituency. They also report that among those religiously unaffiliated, uh, they are, they're forming 24% of the base uh, of po- people who vote with the Democratic Party or lean towards the Democratic Party. So that this religiously unaffiliated demographic is becoming very powerful and influential uh, in our current politics. Is that a younger population as well? It's very much a younger population. Actually, Pew reports it as a, a narrative of generational replacement so that that Americans under the age of 30 uh, are significantly more likely to be religiously unaffiliated than Americans who are over the age of 65. So what may that mean for the role of religion in politics going forward? I think it means that our political candidates have another constituency that they're going to have to start paying very close attention to, right? So these religious nuns, as they're called, 
you know, they mark the box none when they're asked, what is your religious affiliation? Uh, these nuns voted as strongly for Obama in the 2008 election as evangelical Christians voted for John McCain. Uh, so this means politi politicians are very much going to have to pay attention uh, to these nuns or the religiously unaffiliated. Even among these nuns, do you think that it's important to voters that a presidential candidate hold a religious belief? Maybe you're asking if it's possible for an atheist to be elected president in America, and I think absolutely not, right? Because even among those nuns, I think that, that, that Pew's reporting nearly 68% of them still believe in God, right? So that some sort of religious sensitivity or sensibility, I think, is still very important to Americans, even though there is a, a kind of substantial number of atheists or agnostics being reported. The majority of that nun demographic is still marking themselves as spiritual or God-believing in some way. How much do you think religion plays in the mind of a voter when they go to the polls? I think it depends on who is the voter, right? It might be different for a conservative evangelical who understands their religious identity to be very closely connected to the way that America's national identity is constructed uh, so that uh, when they enter the polling place, they will already have to predetermined this person is or is not a Christian and therefore can or cannot receive my vote. Uh, but I think in general, most voters would see religion as a subsidiary concern, as a secondary concern to uh, concerns about the economy or to how much money is being spent on militarization internationally and perhaps to social issues. Uh, that's where religion will probably come in the most for the voters on those social issue uh, concerns. Has a candidate's religion ever completely derailed their White House bid, as far as you know? Well, I think we, you know, we see the candidate Al Smith from the early 20th century, right? one of our first Catholic candidates for the White House, who was not able to successfully uh, gain a large proportion of the electorate, uh, right? and then famously, of course, making way for John F. Kennedy uh, to be our first Roman Catholic president. Uh, who also had to prove himself, though, prove himself to Protestants, right? Absolutely. He, he, in kind of complicated ways, laid his religious identity open for question and uh, also kind of spoke directly to kind of that Protestant center in America. Uh, but he also kind of benefited from a sense in the middle 20th century in America that rather than being a Protestant Christian nation, we were now a Protestant Catholic Jewish nation. So this tri-faith identity uh, in the middle 20th century uh, kind of had prepared the ground for Kennedy in ways that were not available for perhaps earlier candidates. Do you think it would be a headline if Mitt Romney won this election that we have our first Mormon president of the United States? Absolutely. It would be a hallmark moment for America, right? I mean, the Latter-day Saints are perhaps, you know, Harold Bloom is, is somewhat famous for calling uh, the Latter-day Saints the most American of religions. I don't know if I would agree with him in that characterization. Uh, but the LDS Church is a distinctly U.S. American product, right? It comes right out of the Second Great Awakening with the kind of Western expansion into the middle part of the country in the 1830s and 1840s. And uh, has a close connection to our, our, our sense of national identity, uh, both as an American religious product and as a kind of shadow religion that many Americans uh, find to be confusing or uh, might see as illegitimate. So to say that we have a Mormon president would be a, a hallmark moment, absolutely. Uh, 
for Latter-day Saints in the U.S. So overall, I guess this particular election is very representative of the nation, so to speak, religiously speaking, because we have a Catholic, actually both vice presidential candidates are Catholic, and then you have a Christian president who's running for re-election and a Mormon. Right, right. We see kind of a, a, a little a little section of uh, of the spectrum uh, of of religious identity in America right and then in those questionings about those candidates religious identities we also see that kind of the rise of pluralism right this growing awareness of islam right could there be a muslim politician in america for many americans is a new question to think about uh, at the same time that there have been uh, muslims actively involved in american society for centuries uh, so no th- this election does give us a a sense of religion's presence in all of American society and particularly in politics. Jeffrey, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Jeffrey Pollack is a religious studies professor at New York University. Wave your flag for America, home of the strong and free. Wave your flag for America, land of liberty. And on November 6th, citizens will vote to say who they want for president. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Poldarkey. New York-based artist Jonathan Harwitz is making his artistic voice heard this election season with an exhibit titled Your Land, My Land, Election 12. The exhibit is being staged simultaneously at museums across the U.S., including at the New Museum here in New York City. Jonathan joins me now on the phone. Jonathan, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. What's the idea behind Your Land, My Land? Basically, the installation is a location for people to watch coverage of the presidential election and uh, to talk about it. There's also uh, a website that I set up where people can post comments and uh, Twitter and Facebook feeds from the Obama and Romney campaigns are, are fed into the site. So you can respond to the postings from the campaigns or from other museum goers. So you have video screens set up at the museums. Yeah. The way the installation is designed is the spaces are divided into red and blue zones with red and blue area rugs. And in between the two rugs, two back-to-back monitors hang and one plays a live feed of Fox News and the other of MSNBC. That's the core uh, element of the installation. Why did you choose Uh, Fox and MSNBC over other news channels? Those are the two most watched cable news networks. Um, Fox, uh, of course, represents the perspective of the right and MSNBC of the left. So what else is part of this installation? Also, in between the two carpets, a portrait of President Obama hangs from the ceiling and a portrait of Mitt Romney sits on the floor in the red zone. And after election night, if Obama wins, the portraits will remain in the same positions. If Romney wins, Romney will go up where Obama now hangs, and 
Obama will go onto the floor in the blue zone. Right, because this exhibit continues through November 18th at the new museum after the election. Yeah. What do you see, Jonathan, as the defining themes of this election? Issues of economic uh, inequity um, are at the forefront, and the, the, the economy, of course. How would you say those themes are represented in your exhibit? Well, another element of the installation is there's a vinyl graphic on the window at the front of the museum that says your land and my land, which references the Woody Guthrie song, this land is your land, this land is my land. Originally, there was a verse in the song referenced private property and questioned whether this land really could belong to everyone. And also, uh, the window graphic is designed so that your land reads forward from the outside and my land backward. Uh, and uh, I wanted to extend the oppositionary relationships of our political system to uh, a discussion of the space of the museum and the space outside of the museum and get people thinking about where the, the museums fall uh, along the, that divide. Museums are often viewed as bastions of liberalism and are often viewed suspiciously from the right, but I think the relationship that cultural institutions have to power and the economy um, is a little more complicated than that. Will the museums hosting your exhibit be holding any special events on election night? Yeah, uh, at all of the different locations, an election event is planned. Is there a website or a main website for this exhibition that people can check out? The address is www.yourlandmyland.us. Jonathan Horowitz, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. The Your Land, My Land Election 12 exhibit is at the New Museum through November 18th. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Monday night is the final presidential debate of the election season. Barack Obama and Mitt Romney will face off at Lynn University in Boca Raton, Florida. I asked Hofstra University presidential studies professor Mina Bose whether debates change anyone's mind about who to vote for. That is the big question, and I think um, the presidential debates certainly matter, and they almost surely affect some votes. Whether they decide elections is another question, but we know in 1960 that uh, Vice President Nixon's appearance did not help him in the first debate where he wasn't wearing makeup, he was under the weather, he did not, he was not as comfortable with the television cameras as his opponent, Senator Kennedy. In 1980, Governor Reagan had one presidential debate with President Carter and, um, uttered some famous lines, there you go again, are you, then to voters, are you better off now than you were four years ago, and went on to win a very strong victory. Um, 
again, the debates may not have been decisive, but they were important. How far do presidential debates date back? Uh, well, the first uh, presidential debates actually are 1960, the Kennedy-Nixon ones, which were in television studios at the behest of the networks. There were, of course, the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858, but those were for a Senate seat from Illinois. Uh, we know that there have been obviously many other debates. Um, there were primary debates, but the general election presidential debates are 1960, then a hiatus in 64, 68, and 72, and 68 and 72 President Nixon, or former president, first vice, former vice president, then President Nixon, was so scarred by the 1960 experience, he didn't want to go through it again. Uh, 1964, of course, was just in the aftermath of Kennedy's assassination, and really after the 1960 debates, there wasn't a strong interest. But in 1976, the League of Women Voters invited President Ford and Jimmy Carter to participate, and they agreed. And since then, they have been a part of presidential politics. So essentially, presidential debates are a product of the television era. They, that is a a fair assessment, yes. And so television debates are as much, I think it's fair to say, and as my students have noted, about style as they are about substance. What role do you think social media is playing when it comes to how people respond to presidential debates? I think that's a question that we'll have a better answer to after the November elections, when we really look back and assess the number of tweets for debates, the um, the blog posts, the um, public opinion polls. They, I, I think that what, what we do know is that the world of media and of, uh, of the presidential debates has changed drastically from 2008 to 2012, and that the commentary and the viewing, there, the opportunities are so are, have vastly increased. How much that affects the way people respond to the debates and how voters act, I think, is still uncertain. We don't know. I, I will say that despite all of these viewing opportunities, what uh, interested me was when I asked my students how many of them uh, are watching the debates, they all seem to be watching them on TV, or if not on their computer, they're watch or on their computer, they're watching them live. So they are actually interested in the presentation as much as they are in what's being said. How surprised were you with the first presidential debate? I mean, Barack Obama took a lot of heat for his performance. Yes, he did. And quite frankly, I did not have the critical reaction that's clearly the the uh, dominant view, the, the narrative of that debate. Now, so I, it's very clear that President Obama ha or had the weaker performance and that enough people are, um, have been critical of this debate, that um, of his performance, that... that um, that he has some work, uh, that his work is cut out for him. Um, but he, he, it's, uh, I, I think it's certainly clear that Governor Romney had a very strong first debate. He was clear. He was focused. He was aggressive without being arrogant. Uh, he may have fared better in a one-on-one -on -one setting rather than the large multi-person candidate debates that he went through in the Republican primary process. And President Obama, while he answered the questions, was not particularly energetic or necessarily detailed in his responses. Uh, it seemed as though Governor Romney was very much in control of that first presidential debate. And so I think the burden uh, is on President Obama to show that he is able to seize the initiative. I was going to ask you the question, what do you think we can expect from the candidates now that they're heading to their final debate? It will almost be a no-holds-barred debate. Um, of course, the, the final debate focuses on foreign policy, and 
And um, that really gets to larger questions about confidence in the president as commander-in-chief. And which, So the qualities that are going to be looked for in that final debate are ones that actually apply to the economy as well. Is this someone that you can trust with the 3 a.m. phone call to bring back the 2008 ad? Is this a person that uh, – radiates that uh, conveys confidence and uh, as, as a president, as someone who's able to make the tough decisions. And I think that they are both going to have to be very forceful in making their case. All right, Mina, anything else you'd like to add? No, just that the debates, it's an exciting time for American democracy and for uh, voters and viewers to see uh, democracy in practice. Mina, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, George. Mina Bose is the director of the Peter S. Calico Center for the Study of the American Presidency at Hofstra University. The final presidential debate is Monday night in Florida. WFUV is your station for election results come November 6th. Political humorist Scott Blakeman will join me in the studio to provide his thoughts as the numbers come in. Scott dropped in last week to give us his opinions to date on the race for the White House. A lot of the thoughts keep changing, and and it's, uh, you know, there's only a little bit of time left, but I think it'll change a lot even uh, in, in the interim. So I, I guess, you know, I remember... Uh, Talking to you f- four years ago, and and uh, it was certainly a different uh, time, I think, in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables. You know, people always talk about the models and polling and all that. And I think the the biggest variable this time around is the Citizens United decision that's unleashed the floodgates of obscene amounts of of money that'll impact not just the national races but the local races and. You know, their polls are fine, uh, but uh, that the amount of money is staggering. And uh, and also there is that issue that's popped up in other years, but the question of uh, uh, voter suppression and all that. So that, that sort of makes it difficult to sort of predict, you know, where it's going to go. Anything surprise you about how things are playing out? Well, nothing surprises me anymore. You know, being a political comedian and commentator, I think the last, you know, it's almost like where is the the comedy end and the real life begins. I mean, it's almost like, you know, some of the real stuff. If I did that as a joke a few years ago, people would say, well, that would never happen. So, uh, you know, I mean, the Republican primary season was almost like a reality show. You know, some of the candidates were so fringe that they reminded me of the people who would call into AM radio shows years ago and get hung up on, you know, hi, it's Michelle. Thank you. Next caller. So so we've certainly lowered the bar. The bar has changed as to what's, you know, acceptable and comments that elected officials say that you would never hear years ago. So I, I think uh, it's a very, you know, very different time that way. What issues do you think we haven't been hearing enough of in this election? Anything come to mind? Uh, you know, I think almost all of the issues we haven't heard enough of that that's really the problem too you know what's happened over the last few years and i think some a lot in this election every speech every appearance is basically the same sound bites together it's sort of like at some point the strategist decided we're just going to stick to this message and say it over and over again and and um you know maybe from a political standpoint that that's effective but what happens is you don't get uh, in, in fact i remember going back to the first debate it was 90 minutes and i felt you know, other than the questions of style and it kind of struck me as amusing that they said President Obama won on substance, but he lost the debate. It's nice how far we've come that winning on substance isn't good enough to, in a presidential election. And it, it covered very few topics in that first debate. And, and, and so, you know, there's so much to talk about. There's so many nuances. But unfortunately, it's the same thing over again. My plan, his plan. And it's ironic because when they talk about my plan, they really, you know, people have realized, especially in the last four years, even though I'm a big Obama supporter, there's only so much a president can do. So when someone says, I'm going to do this, 
it's really uh, a question of who's going to come along with him and who's going to obstruct him and who's going to be with him. So uh, definitely the, I would wish there would be a fuller discussion of the issues, and there sadly uh, isn't. How do you approach the comedy? Let's get inside the head of a political humorist, if you will. So you're watching a presidential debate. Now, how are you perhaps viewing it any differently than the rest of us? Well, I guess it starts off that you look at it and try to gain opinions of someone saying something. or And, and you know, look, I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm subjective, so I see things a certain way. But I also try to – one thing that a comedian has to do is you can't just get up there and say, boy, he's an idiot or he looks stupid. You have to go, okay, this is what I think. How do I make that funny? So the first step for me is to form my opinion or to try to – Obviously, you, you can't just do a, a. You need to crystallize. Like, okay, what's the the key points out of this that I want to focus on? Is it, you know, Romney to me looking kind of frenetic and and willing to say everything and and um, the contrast in styles, um, the coverage later on compared to what my opinion was. So you try to isolate certain things and, and sort of challenge. And again, uh, you know, when they would say, uh, oh, "I'm a one on substance." Is it, you know, how is that not enough? So that, you know, lines like that will stay with me and I'll try to, you know, make something of it. Scott, I will see and everyone else will hear you here on WFUV on election night. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much, George. Scott Blakeman is a political humorist here in New York City. He'll join us live on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org on November 6th as part of our election night coverage. Let us know what's on your mind as the election approaches. You can share your thoughts on our Facebook and Twitter pages. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Morlane Chin and producer Julie Clark. Have a great weekend. <laughs>